This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. I am... Very happy to have my co-host Dalton Del Don back. Not that his substitute, Scott Pianowski, wasn't far better than peak Dalton Del Don. Trough Pianowski is better than peak Del Don. Nonetheless, I'm happy to have Dalton back on the podcast. And uh, Dalton, first off, uh, how you doing? How, how you recovering from Vegas? Man, I've been better. Uh, <laughs> we, I just spent three days there. It's good to see you and the other RotoWire guys. Um, but man, I, uh, I really struggled, uh, yesterday. It was, uh, it, my body had had enough. So it was, uh, it was, it's tough. It's, you know, it's a bad hangover when it lasts the second day too. I'm still not a hundred percent. Well, I do have to say that your hangover was worse in part due to an act of altruism for Kevin Payne, because the four, you, me, Stopa and Payne were at the blackjack table, mostly losing money. At least I was losing money and Payne had uh he he hit on like you know a 13 against a six or something stupid like that took the dealer's bus card we all lost and i said Payne, you know you have to do a shot for that that's just not acceptable ordered a shot from the cocktail waitress the shot arrived and then i noticed as i was trying to get Payne to drink it that he was sort of slumped forward and he had this full long island iced tea of which he probably had 12 and he was starting to do things like trying to double down illegally on 13. At that table, you were only allowed to double down at 10 and 11, which was annoying, but it was just a $10 table. So he was trying to double down, and then I realized, oh, like he's – and then you took the shot from him. So in the end, even even the dealer, Way, our dealer, who was very uh, good sport about the situation, said it was a good thing. I shouldn't have been trying to get him to do a shot, and that it was a good thing that you took it from him. Yeah, and then we followed that up with me uh, helping him find his room as well. So I was—I uh, feel like uh, I was a decent friend there for once. So and I'm, I even—I must have been a good deed if you're giving me uh, credit for it. So I'll, I'll take it. It was, it. A, it was heroic because you actually drank the shot, right? So like you, the lightweight that you are, and through circumstances that are not your own fault, you're extra skinny now, and you were already a lightweight before. And now, uh, you know, you had a bunch of drinks and then you did a couple of shots because I think they brought you a shot, too. And at that time it was probably one in the morning. It was I thought it was a heroic act. So I, I'm going to give you credit for it. Good. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that was a quite adventurous trying to find his room as well. That took took about an hour. But uh... <laughs> right, you probably did like three miles in the hallways. Yeah, yeah, probably. So. so let me ask you this before we get into the substance of which there's never any substance in this podcast. It's all just it's all just this kind of shit. If you're new to this, 
It's just this kind of shit the whole time. It's not. There's no substance. If you're waiting for us to get to the substance, just turn the shit off. There's no substance. There's not. There's nothing that we get to. Okay. So that said, Derek, who kind of runs our media stuff for RotoWire, said, you know, you might want to rename the podcast "A Real Man Would" or "A Real Man" or dot dot dot. Something with a real man, because we're talking about a real man, you know, does both of the shots and, you know, does that, you know, a real man does X, you know, that's a construct that we like. I personally like it quite a bit. And that East Coast offense doesn't really have any meaning to anybody. Yes, I have a, co- a column by the same name, but unless you already know it, you're not going to click on it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I like it. Um, totally makes sense. Yeah, because our, our column's kind of everywhere. Your column is just football specific. And uh, you do use that term quite a bit. So, unfortunately, you would have to be fired as the co-host, obviously. I mean, obviously, if that were the title of the podcast. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> you know, or maybe just you'd be such a good counterbalance to what a real man is that it would actually be good. That you'd be the, the perfect illustration of the, the perfect ne- photo negative of what we're trying to illustrate. So, uh, yeah. So, what do you think? Should we change the name of it? Yeah, I'm on board. Let's okay. So, henceforth. You are no longer listening to the East Coast Offense podcast. You are listening to the Real Man podcast or the Real Man Wood podcast. Which one would it be? A Real Man Wood sounds good to me. The Real Man Wood. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that that's that. Anyway, no, it was fun. It was fun. Like I said, maybe. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't stay a fourth day because three apparently just uh, my body had had enough. But um, it's Dude, so, I, you know, it's I, a day and a half back. I'm feeling a little bit better. I got home yesterday at like, I want to say like one, and I went to my bed and slept for three hours immediately. Yeah, um, I was in pretty rough shape. Uh, I My wife not only just dealt with two kids while I was gone for three days, she dealt with the third kid on my first day back because I, I was immobile pretty much for, for the majority of the day. So uh, props to my wife. Yeah, I didn't even enjoy the final dinner because I got so drunk at the pool. You weren't even there. Uh, the, the pool, you had already left by that point. I mean, it was like I got there, and at first I was pissed because we had it. We have these cabanas, and they're like four fifty each, and they're supposed to be two thousand. But we have this whole deal with Caesars to get the whole group in, and then we have a tab of like fifteen hundred, two thousand worth of drinks. But there's like thirty, forty people there, right? So like that gets in their expensive drinks, so that gets used up right away. So Tori, Pete's wife, does a good job. She comes down and she kind of like puts the kibosh on more drink ordering. And it's usually like five dudes just drinking like 10 drinks each. Anyway, I get down there after the poker tournament and I wasn't there at all on Monday because we had the same thing on Monday because I was in this like partners meeting. So I didn't have any time to go to the pool. Finally get down and everyone's like, oh no, the tab's closed. I'm like, fuck that dude. I'm getting a couple drinks. So there's like some shitty sangria type stuff that I pounded two of right away or a mimosa or something like that also. And then uh, Ken was like, I'll get you a drink. Don't worry. And then Tori was like, yeah, get a, get a couple more. And so I ended up having like two or three very large gin and sodas at the pool. And then maybe three sugary sangria slash mimosa drinks. But these were in like a 20-ounce a cup, all of these. And yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. <laughs> right. And I'm in the blazing 100-something degree sun. And I'm in the pool. And next thing I know, you know, I'm rocked. And... Then we have to go to dinner, and I'm feeling okay, and I have like a drink, and then all of a sudden, I just I just felt horrible, and uh, I had to really grit through the last couple hours, and I felt bad about that. You know, I was trying to say goodbye to people and chat with them, but right. it's hard when you're in agonizing, you know, uh, post post drinking pain. 
Yeah, I did that. I did kind of the opposite. My first night there, me and Stopa went went to this club. Just not we, we're not big club guys. Don't get me wrong. We only stayed there like an hour, but uh, it was a crazy scene that I just it's it's just absurd. At like three thirty in the morning, it's three stories high, and it's just full at a random club. You know, not a special club. It's just a club where we were staying, and this c- crazy DJ with all these pyrotech DJ with all these pyrotechnics. Point is. I didn't go to sleep until like four o'clock the first day, so that probably wasn't the smartest strategy. I think your strategy was actually better. Just wait to the last night so you can deal with it on the. Well, I guess the flight the flight back probably wasn't the greatest. It, it was fine. The, the The actual problem is that I was jet lagged coming back from Portugal, um, right. and I never really got over that. And then I slept like four hours Sunday night, sorry Saturday night, because we went out with our friends on Saturday, and then like I had to pack some stuff, and then Heather and me were like so annoying. Like I booked the trip back to Portugal that night because we had to start booking all that stuff and then she wanted to get a better day so she switched the t- I can't even get into it it's, it's not even worth getting into and I told her I said it's not going to work it's not going to work and she's like no it's going to work and of course it didn't work so I had to get on the phone you know on the phone tree with United and like spend another hour so I, I stayed up really late on Saturday night so I had about four hours of sleep and I was already tired and feeling like shit and then immediately you know we're at the Stopa draft and Brad Evans is like feeding me tequila immediately right. and so you know, I, I had adrenaline from the draft and drinking, and I was sort of like, okay, great. But then that just fed right into the night, right? Then we had, like, the whole dinner thing, and then I went out to Nobu with a bunch of those guys and drank more. Um, and so it just kept, you know, it just keeps going. And, you know, by the end of the third day, it's rough. Uh, a couple things I want to say, though. I was just uh, in L.A., so I've been in, you know, L.A. for, like, a week since we got back. It's, and I just drove around to, like, pick up some stuff at the farmer's market and pick up some uh, meat at the butcher for tonight, we're cooking dinner, and I fucking hate L.A., man, it's like, it's just, this is why, this is why I'm always in my house in L.A., this is why I never leave the house, I realize, like, yeah, I never leave the house, it's a depressing existence when I'm here, why don't I leave the house, why don't I do stuff, this is why, because just doing those errands took like an hour, I was supposed to be podcasting with you about 15 minutes earlier, just parking the car, finding a spot, and then like, it's hot, I like walk with this bags of stuff, put it in the trunk, then I gotta go to the farmer's market, there's so much traffic on the way, Finally get there, almost, a bus almost hits me twice switching lanes. I'm like honking like crazy. You're like in these really tight parking lots where you got to pull in three times just so that you both can open your door and simultaneously not trap the other guy in, right? Like you don't want to trap the guy in your right. You could like park right next to him and open your driver's door, but then he couldn't get in to his car. So you got to be like super careful. Like there's just no room for error. There's people walking. There's traffic. It's just, it's just so much stress getting around here. It's just not, it just deters you from leaving the house. And so yeah, I, I remember like five years ago, uh, we had a Yahoo trip uh, and we met up that you barbecued us some food. And I remember the final three miles took like more than an hour just, just sitting in traffic yeah. on that one. I forget what that road's called to get to where you where you live right now. You're probably going to Pico or something. But yeah, it's just it, it's just what am I what is this? This is just not it, it's just so uh, not relaxing to drive. You're, you're so everything's like an inch away from a crash. You know, every second, every parking lot, it's basically telling you stay in your house. Arrange things conveniently, but stay home. And I don't really want to live like that. Like in Europe, I just walk out. You know, Lisbon's a pain in the ass because you got to walk up all these stairs and hills, but at least you get some exercise. And it's like you just, it's no big deal to leave, you know. But here it's like you, you really just don't want to leave. So when do you uh, go back to Lisbon? Uh, September 1st. I'm actually going to New York August 21st for 10 days. And then on September 1st, I'm going to fly back to Lisbon. It's a lot of traveling. How long, so how long is it, are you going to stay with the plan now for the next? So, so for the next like 10 months from September to like through June, we're going to be there. 
And the question is, you know, do we, re you know, stay there more permanently or do we come back to the States? I think Heather and I both agreed, like, we don't want to live in L.A. She was, like, saying shit like Nashville, Austin, places like that. I'm like, I don't know, man. Can I live in Tennessee or Texas? I'm not sure. But um, the L.A. is, I, there's just no reason for me to be here. All right, I'm going to circle back to uh, Vegas a couple things real quick, and then we'll move on to the, the Stopa draft. Um, one, I just realized that I had Justin, well, I told, told you this morning that I had Justin Bohr, Bohr and a home run derby and a kind of a long shot. He right. might have been the least favored. Right. I, and I just went and looked. I remember him hitting a lot of homers. He had this, his, his was the second most round <laughs> of anyone with 22. And then Judge beat him with, with 23. That's not a perfect stat because once you get ahead of someone, right, they stop right. you. Still, it was like it was a, a pretty legit amount more. So that was a tough, uh, frustrating beat. But I want to say one of my favorite bets I've ever made. And Stopa went in. I kind of talked him into it because he doesn't really follow it. And my my friend did. And only reason I didn't do more is because I went to ATM limit. But Mayweather McGregor. I do like Mayweather, but this is way better because the odds of the Vigs just minus 160 where Mayweather's like minus 600. And I actually might like it more anyway. The under on that, Matt, can you guess what the under is? I probably told you. Nine and a half rounds, right? Yeah, I went over that. Yeah. Well, I asked my, my friend, Guess, and he and he's a smart guy, and he said four. And that, I thought it'd be right, right around there too. So nine and a half, and you obviously get both fighters. So even if I'm wrong about Mayweather dominating, McGregor catches him. Um, maybe it'll turn into a normal Mayweather fight running around, but to me that, that seems absurd. And that's one of my favorite bets in a long time that, that fight under nine and a half rounds. I don't know, man. I think it's going to go the distance with the unanimous Floyd decision. Do you, do you ever see when Floyd fought Marquez? Yeah, I know that's what he does almost every single fight. I get it, but this is so, so when Marquez different. is like, he's an excellent boxer. Like he would totally destroy McGregor too, but nobody got hit. Nobody got hurt. Floyd scored all the points. He won. That's how he wins. I'm guessing that's why the line is what it is, because that's what all Mayweather fights are like. But to me, this is just so different. You think it's going to be more like uh, the Hitman? Do you remember when he fought the Hitman? Uh, you know the no. Hitman is? I have heard the name, but that, that's probably a dated reference. A ginger? He's a ginger? Does that ring any bells? Um, are you talking about Canelo? No. no. Ricky Hatton. Oh, yeah. Of course I watched that fight. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Floyd was toying with them, scoring points, scoring points, and then knocked him out in the seventh. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, so he's capable. I mean, and especially if you do some damage, or, I mean, throughout. Right. I mean, he's certainly capable. The point, so. is, the point is if he's so much better, and he was so much better than Hatton, and he, he's like even by even a greater margin better than McGregor at boxing, even if he has a good chin, there's just only so many jabs of the face you can take. Exactly. You know, before you start getting knocked out, but maybe not, man. I don't know. I, I well, think McGregor should probably just take him down a couple times just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's a clause in his contract if he like loses a significant amount of money if he throws a kick. If he like, if he forgets and he throws a kick, he might lose the whole purse. Actually, I'm not sure. But anyway, that that I, that just line really surprised me. And of course, when you love a bet, that's when you almost certainly usually lose it. But that that was just my one the one ticket I came home with. That that was it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Okay, I did no poker except for video poker. How'd you do with the tables? How'd you do? And then no sports betting except for the hundred I did on the on the home run derby on Sano and the hundred I bet with Stopa, which is stupid because I didn't see the judge was just like I, I said it was like if you were in the home run derby but the fence was like where the infield starts, and right. all you had to do was basically get the ball in the air and it was a home run and that's what it seemed like for judge, 
And once I real once I saw him uh, take out Bellinger, I was like, oh, I just made a really stupid bet. So I just lost 200 on that, and then I probably lost another three, four hundred playing blackjack. Probably made 20 in the poker machines, and then I probably drank like, you know, I'm not talking about the free booze at RotoWire, but like the the drinks that I got while gambling. I probably drank 120 dollars worth of booze, maybe. It was definitely a losing trip. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Depends on this bet for me, pretty much, is what it's going to come down to. But uh, you want to talk the uh, Stope auction? Yeah, let's talk about it for a bit. Yeah, I'm sure you've talked about it all during your, your XM show this morning, and you're kind of tired of it. Yeah, i got to write it up, too, actually. Uh, so just to give people background, the Stopa League is 12000 that Stopa Law Firm sponsors. He pays the prize. Stopa Law Firm is a uh, foreclosure defense firm. He's helped a lot of people stay in their home and take money from the banks. And he gets paid to do that. That's what. That's why he has all this money to spend on this league. But he's an excellent lawyer. And if you're in that area and you have an issue, he's the guy to contact Stopa Law Firm. Okay, it's Mark Stopa. The league is a QB, a QB flex, two tight ends, two running backs, three receivers, a regular flex, kicker D, five bench spots, and it's half PPR. And it's an auction. And you said super flex, right? Yeah, I just, well, I said QB flex. But, yeah, super right. flex means QB right. flex. So... And there's 14 teams in it this year instead of 12. And so I didn't really, you know, I was drinking and I didn't, you know, I've done plenty of football research, so I kind of know what's what. But my only strategy coming in was make sure I get at least two really good quarterbacks, you know, good enough that they can't lose their starting job except through injury. And actually, I wanted to get three, but it just I started to realize, like, I would have been even thinner than I am at some of the other positions. So that was my plan. feel like I pulled it off. But, you know, there's... I, I, I'll, I'll tell you how extreme this is and how mispriced the QBs were. I got Andy Dalton for $21, and I got him very early in the auction. And Brad Evans got LaShawn McCoy for like 36 or 39 I want to look what he, he paid, 36 for McCoy. And he offered me McCoy for Dalton and ProSize after the draft. I got ProSize for three. And I did not do it. I turned it down. And the reason I turned it down it's because then Cody Kessler, my $1 QB, is in my QB flex. And I was like, I'm actually going to lose points overall if I upgrade from, you know, ProSize slash Charles Sims slash Dante Foreman slash Robert Turbin, whatever scrubby running backs I have in the regular flex and in the running, second running back slot. Upgrading from those guys to McCoy would be great, but downgrading from Dalton to if Kessler loses his job, I think would be a bigger, it would cost me more points than the running back upgrade would get me. Yeah, he keeps trying to get Mariota for me for McCoy, and I and I bought him for thirty. So it's not as extreme as what he's offering you. Uh, but there's, you know, immediately afterward, he was willing to take a hit on the the amount of money he spent on the running back when he realized just how I'm sure he realized it going in, but it just doesn't always break your way. But how just how important quarterbacks are in this format? Think about it this way, right? In normal fantasy football, the standard twelve team one QB league, right? The reason quarterbacks don't go to the third or fourth round, or sometimes fifth round is that there's always Andy Dalton on waivers. There's always Philip Rivers on waivers. There's always Ryan Tannehill at a minimum on waivers. So you're never, you're always like, well, yeah, maybe Rodgers scores the most points of any player, but I still get a guy who scores the 20th most points of any player free on the waiver wire. But right. in this, Josh McCown has been drafted. Cody Kessler has been drafted. Deshaun Kaiser has been drafted. Paxton Lynch has been drafted. Okay? The replacement value is basically zero at quarterback. So now all those points the quarterbacks score, that's just what they're worth. It's not what are they worth relative to running backs who score fewer points. Like 
if you if you want to bet straight up who scores more points in this format, David Johnson or Andy Dalton? Oh, yeah, it's got to be Dalton's probably the favorite, right? I mean, I didn't look at it. I, I'm sure Johnson outscored him last year, but that was like his 20 touchdown, 80 catch yeah. year. Let's right? put but it like, this way: it should be. I mean, it should be relatively close. I mean, way different than the discrepancy in which the, their prices were. Right, and there's going to be more freely available running backs to add than there are quarterbacks. So why is Dalton not worth as much as David Johnson? I'm with you, man. I um, no, I, like I, I should have bought four of them. I, I should have just said, yeah. okay, I'm going to start trading when people start realizing the 12-team, people underprice QBs, and so everybody just kind of didn't see it because there was always like a QB to get, like some kind of QB. There's nothing left. Right. Well, talk about your team a little bit. I like the Devontae Parker for ten dollars. I, I really liked that quite a bit. Oh, one, one. I'll talk about my strategy real quick. I went extreme stars and scrubs, and I actually got a lot of uh, a hard time for my team. I don't think people like it at all, and I totally get that uh, an injury would probably really hurt me because I have zero depth. But you know, if you're playing for for twelve thousand dollars, I want to win. I didn't want the team to have me the most likely to finish top four, top three. So I went Mariota and, and, and Newton, and then Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, and Brandon Cooks. And that was actually my strategy going in. I was going to spend 90% of my uh, sorry my, my budget on two quarterbacks and three or four wide receivers. And, and I, whether you like it or not, um, I'm not sure if Evans is going to keep it up with extra guys to throw to there. But I thought I at least executed the strategy. The one problem I made with that is I wanted to come away – with a bunch of $1 running backs. And every time I threw them out there, they, they would say two or three. So I just loaded up on receivers on my bench. So that, that was one mistake I thought I made. But yeah, I, oh, one other strategy is I didn't want to spend big on tight ends just because they, I get that it's two tight end league and boy, you have a leg up. That's interesting. I mean, you really do with Gronk and, and Jimmy Graham, but they just, Gronk's injury prone and they just don't score enough points. That, that was my theory. Well, Gronk is not a great PPR play, but this is half PPR. Yeah. So it makes a big difference. You know, Gronk will catch, if he's healthy, 70, 75, maybe 80 passes. He's not going to catch 95 passes like the top receivers. So that downgrades him a little bit. That's why he's not like a first-round pick. But in a two-tight end league where it's, there isn't much available on the waiver wire, and, again, you're, you're comparing to that baseline, I got him for 34. I mean, just think about, like, Cooks is, like, the number – I don't know. I love Cooks, by the way, but he's like the number 11 receiver or number 13 receiver for most people. I mean, he went for more money than Gronk. I mean. And, and I, I kind of feel like the depth at tight end is just as, you know, when you get to the bottom of the tight end position, it's, it's a lot less than when you get to the bottom of the receiver position. So, yeah, you might be right. I liked a lot of $1 receivers. So, you might, I, I, yeah, you might be right about that. I mean, Travis Kelsey, though, went for 33, $1 less. That guy scored four touchdowns last year. There's just such a right. limited upside with right. tight ends. And he, well, he did break a thousand yards, I think. But that was with Macklin's corpse. I mean. So not with Gronk, right? So Olsen scored three TDs. Kelsey scored four. That was, those were probably both anomalies. Like Olsen scored like five or six. And same with Kelsey, maybe seven. But Gronk can score 12, right? Like no problem. If he's healthy, 12 is like the, probably what you should project him for. He's one of the greatest red zone receivers of all time. Sure. Jimmy Graham is now two years removed from the injury. He finally proved he was healthy, especially in the second half last year. He's got a great quarterback. And who's there? Doug Baldwin is a good receiver, but one who gets like 120 targets. Then you got Tyler Lockett, Paul Richardson, Jermaine Curse. There's no real number two. I mean, Jimmy Graham should be the number two receiver there. And you say, well, Seattle doesn't throw much. They're going to be a run-first team. 
they're going to throw 470 times. Like that's the la- that's like the lowest in the league. It's like 470. Well, if Baldwin gets 120, you still got 350 targets left. I think Graham can get 120 though too. And if he gets 120 targets, given how skillful he is and how big he is, he's probably going to get nine touchdowns, and he's probably going to get you know close to a thousand yards. So, I moved Graham up recently on my board. You know, now that there's no bad news, no nagging injury stuff about him that I've heard. Like, this guy's one of the true skilled tight ends in the league. Yeah, he. I mean, I guess uh, I just wanted to spend money on guys with higher ceilings. But I, mean, I guess if you if you're it's a two tight end league, and I have the scrubs, I'm starting for a dollar a piece. That's a that's certainly a, a, a big leg up, but um, I don't know. We'll see. What did you think of my strategy? Was it too extreme? Uh, not really. I mean, I look, you got to get the quarterbacks, and you did, right? You just got to get them, and I like Newton this year. Newton is capable of going crazy. Marion and Newton could be number one and two. They could be the top two scorers in this format. <laughs> like they, they, they actually could. They're also a little bit more injury risk in a format where they're impossible to replace. So, And they're both coming off an injury, admittedly. Right. Right, but I, I've you know you, you were aggressive on them. I like Dalton for twenty one more than Newton and Mariota for thirty plus. But you know I have luck for thirty five. He's still hurt as far as we know, so I took a chance on him. I mean, yeah, I I I like it. And the receivers are usually pretty reliable. There's not a huge amount of risk there at those receivers. I think they're all got a good floor, and and I think Cooks has a ridiculous ceiling. Also, um, you have like no running backs, and that's the position I think you want to be weak at if you're going to be weak at one. I sort of punted my second running back. I have Charles Sims, CJ Prosize, you know, scrubs like that. So I'm in the same the way, boat. The way I look at it is um, if we had a draft, if this league with this format with 14 teams had a draft, I would say my I have five of the top, what, 25 picks, I'd say? You have, yeah, I would say so. Five of the top 25, yeah, I would say so. But I would I, think I would think that, like, if we did this properly – you know, Andy Dalton would be a top 30 pick. Like, it, oh, I, I agree. I, I mean, I feel like yeah. so I, I have those two and Dez and Gronk would be a top. You know, I've got at least four of them. And then I like I happen to really like Graham more than most. And then I've got Hyde and Parker. I actually really like Carlos Hyde. I mean, I don't know that he's going to win the job. And you seem to think Joe Williams is going to win it. But I mean, he's the starter for now. And really, the Shanahan offenses. I mean, if you can just function in there, it's it's a good place to be. Yeah, no, I think it's funny that we both have running backs from this. Obviously, I spent $4 on him, and you spent 29 but you have Hyde. I have Joe Williams. I, I follow the Niners, but but who knows? I think Hyde is a pretty good runner, but he just cannot stay on the field, and he, he's completely separated from this regime. And Shanahan came in and traded up, and it seemingly loves uh, Joe Williams. So I, I, I don't know. I, we'll see. I, I'd say that's more like 60-40 Hyde, and the discrepancy in prices are obviously different. Then you've spent $2 on Charles Sims. And I got Jacquees Rogers for $1, and he's the starter for the first three weeks while Doug Martin's out. Is Jacquees Rogers definitely the starter for three weeks? I guess you can't say definitely, but, I mean, that's been the plan. And when he when he got an opportunity last year, they ran him into the ground. They gave him a bunch of touches, and that'd be perfect for me. But remember, me a, remember that Sims was hurt last year when that happened. I know, I know, but I'm just reading the reports. You can only do so much with that. You're right. It could be a, a timeshare, and he's obviously not the most talented guy. But that team, that offense could actually be be sick with all the additions they have, Deshaun Jackson and, and O.J. Howard. Um, I think that's where he went, right? Howard went there, right? Yep. I got Howard, too, for I two. Do. I saw that. I like that. Um, so like my, I would love that because that would give me a month to hit the, the, the fab. You know, I'm just going to be so aggressive. And I just, if I just hit one running back, 
And by the way, they're all all players are injury prone, but but running back is obviously uh, the most. And we're drafting in mid July. You know, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be injuries. That that was just kind of my my thought process as receivers far safer and just I want to hit a big fab on, on a running back as the season progresses. Yeah, no, I, that's why I punted running back largely too. I, I did spit on Hyde, but that was it. Here's one thing: I got Kevin White for three, and I don't know if Kevin White's good. When he played, they he played a couple games last year when he was healthy, and they targeted the crap out of him, and he wasn't very effective. But I kind of feel like he and Cam Meredith are being mispriced. Like Cam Meredith is going way ahead of him. And Cam Meredith is an undrafted free agent who had a few good games last year. And Kevin White is the basically Julio Jones physically. Peak Julio Jones physically. Like he's like 6'3", 220, and runs a 4'3 something. And I think he's going to get every chance. They're going to really want to see if he's the guy they've drafted with the seventh overall pick in a couple years ago or if he's not and then meredith is going to be the guy if white is a failure or gets hurt again yeah we've we've had gone over this debate before i'm not a big white guy just just from watching him but obviously he's not played you're not a big white guy (laughs) kevin white um He's uh he does have the higher pedigree obviously but the you know you got Mike Glennon throwing to him but at three dollars sure why not I mean yeah that's a former top ten pick not that long ago and people loved him at the combine so sure that makes I mean I can't really give you too much of a hard time for three dollars yeah well no it was a valuable three dollars though at the time I mean it was it was at the end game where there's some other players um, I would have liked but anyway that was the Stopa League yeah we will see what happens it's yeah it's so it's so funny because like after the FSTA draft I did like a an XM spot on it and people were like giving each other crap about their picks. And, you know, the host was brought me in and said, you know, what do you think of your team? A lot of people are saying you overdrafted Ajay and whoever else. And I said, you know, the truth is I like my team, but nobody knows. You know, I was like, I'm fine with my team. I like it. This is, what I'm talking about my FSA, FSTA team, but I'm like, it's June at the time and nobody knows what's going to happen. Like nobody knows whose team is good actually. That's just not knowable. And Matt Deutsch came up to you after he said, I like it. I like the honesty. He's like, I can't sell that. I can't market that, but I like it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Matt Deutsch is learning what we do. You do a draft in July. It's a crazy format like this. Nobody fucking knows. I just know that Brad Evans' team is bad. That's all I know. And just hopefully, unless total disaster strikes, and maybe I'm questioning myself because of everyone kind of gave me a hard time, but uh, everyone should like their team coming out of their own draft, right? You're the one that did it. Right. I mean, uh, it, it, tell me the opposite. Who comes away from their draft not liking the players in which they picked themselves five minutes ago? Right. If I were you, I would definitely dislike many more of my drafts because based on the results of them. But calm down. I, I think I think that I think that's not true, though, in an auction, because I think sometimes things get away from you. Right. That, like you, that could be. No, there's that. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Or like it's funny, actually. Do you remember in the Friends and Family League draft, which we still have this bet on and it's actually you know competitive? I passed on Eric Thames, and I took Jackie Bradley, who was hitting like 150 for like a month and a half. And now Jackie Bradley's actually crushing it. And Thames has been okay, but he's slumped quite a bit since his hot start. And so, like, Thames has still been far more valuable to date, but it's not like 100% slam dunk that that was the mistake in the end. You know, a month and a half ago, that was like as, as wide a discrepancy as it could possibly be. It's funny, like, how your your opinion of what you did during the draft or the auction, again, even if... Even if you think your team is great, 
still, who the hell knows? Of course, of course. That is a good point about auctions versus drafts, though, because you just don't know where the prices are going to go later. And they're, they are a little bit different in that aspect. And I apologize about Eric Thames. I, I was all in and I bought that hot start. And boy, he is. Yeah, he's really falling. I don't know if it's due to that injury or what. But yeah, I was calling him, you know, a, a legit second pick. pick. Yeah, late first. Yeah, no, that yeah. was dead wrong. It looks like. So anyway, you got anything else for me? Anything politically or anything, Liz? There's obviously that big revelation that Donald Trump Jr., Yep. met with some lawyer who apparently was connected to the Russians and the guy said, hey, I got some dirt on Hillary Clinton. He was like, yeah, I love it. And he went over to meet, but they haven't figured out if there was actually any dirt exchange. He denies it, but he might be lying. But nobody has any proof that there was anything actually delivered. So everyone's going crazy like, oh, you see, they did intend to collude. They did. But it's like the son intended to get info from a dude he knew i don't know if that's like that's like okay you know it just it, but the whole media is like up in arms about it like oh this is this is the end this is closing in I'm yeah i think there's a big controversy that the new york times had this they've been doing a bunch of research or something and they're about ready to break the story and then uh trump jr just beat him uh with a text just admitting what was going to come out like an hour before they were ready to publish and they're all upset over that too well, but somebody must have leaked it to him, right? Because how would he know that to, to yeah. release that stuff? Right, right. I mean, I assume the Trump family lies routinely about everything, but this doesn't seem like that big of a score, right? It just means he met with some dude who you have to prove that that dude was highly connected at the highest level to the Russian government. That was, you know, it could just be some guy he knew that was like, hey, the Russians have some dirt on your opponent. Do you want to see it? And he's just like, yeah, I want to see it. Let's go use this against her. I don't think that amounts to like collusion with Vladimir Putin to steal the election, right? It was like first the yeah. Russians hacked. I saw a tweet that first they hacked the election, then they in, just simply interfered with the election. Now they, some dude who's a Rus- who's a lawyer who knows the Russians, gave uh, had a meeting which no which didn't have very good information. <laughs> That's like the level that it's at right now. So um, I I just think there's such a hysteria about this that is stupid, and. Um, and so, like, anything that has any probative value that's promising at all is going to be glommed onto and grabbed onto like it's, you know, right, like it's the greatest right. thing ever. But so I had a really good interview, and, and he was saying, well, do you remember, like, a couple weeks ago, Trump apparently gave away ISIS intel to the foreign minister, and everyone's like, oh, how could he do that? He must be in with the Russians. You know, like, everyone's already forgotten about that. That, like, was nothing. And then one, that they only let the Russian photographer in for the meeting. And, and they didn't let the Americans, you know, press in there. That was like a thing for a day. Like there's all these things that we've totally forgotten about because people got so hysterical about them. And then they turned out to be, yeah, this doesn't look great, but it's no big deal. I have one last uh, lighthearted thing to see what you think about it. What you think about it. Um, I guarantee you didn't watch this uh, yesterday. I'm positive you didn't. And I, I don't really care about the awards, but I, I read about how good it was. So I checked it out. Peyton Manning killed his monologue at the ESPYs. Like, seriously, like, you would have guessed he was, like, a professional comedian. It was really funny, actually. Dude, he is, he's like the Obama of football players. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of either. He takes jabs at himself for the commercials, even does a cha-ching thing with his arm. I mean, it, it's... It, I it, know, it, it's like self-aware, personability, comic timing, you know, self-deprecation, just just has it you know they and both well have spoken it. just so well spoken i couldn't even tell he was reading off a monitor it was yeah. like long it was like a 10 minute monologue or something you know, the, i was impressed it was he was funny he's the barack obama of nfl players manning and obama 
so <laughs> polished. Laughing all the way, self-deprecatingly laughing all the way to the bank as they sell your kids Oreos. Right. As they sell your fat kid Oreos. And he gets diabetes. And, but he's yeah. so polished, so smooth about it. Yeah. You know? As they, he sells that, slings that shitty Papa John's. Perfect timing, perfect pitch, perfect tenor. I know. The, it's, like, it's like amazing. Like when you ha- it's like, how can you not like that guy? He's like the coolest guy there. And he's such a great quarterback. Yeah. No, it was good. I recommend it. Just the monologue. I'm not saying you have to watch all the, the awards and stuff are kind of silly, but just his monologue starting out was, 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 was really good, I thought. All right. I'm just going to do one last thing. I'm going to say one last thing. And I know you were there. so you, uh, and, and we talked about this on the show, but fucking Vegas. Every time you're in Vegas and you go to a restaurant, even if it's the shit diner at like 2 in the morning and there's 100 tables open, they say, oh, sir, can you just wait a few minutes? Hold on. They make you wait. Even if they know that you, you can see that there's 50 tables open, they make you wait. They know that you know why they're doing it, and yet they still do it. And the other night we went to Rouse, and we spent about $500 there. And we went in. There was plenty of open tables, and they made us wait. And I, I started getting pissed, right? And I wanted to leave. I was willing to walk out. Fuck you, okay? If, if it's busy and there's no table, fine, of course, right? I mean, someone made a reservation. Someone got there first. No problem. But if the table's open... Why do you disrespect my time so much that for the bullshit appearance that I know is a lie that you're so busy that you can't accommodate us right now, you're going to make me wait? How is that a viable business model or business plan? Like, how is that? This is Rouse in in Las Vegas, but I should call them out, but it's everywhere. It was also in the stupid coffee shop that made Dre, Timoni, and me wait five minutes with many open tables just because. Same reason. What is the fucking point of that? Yeah, like I said earlier um, on the show, I, I don't especially don't get it when you're in uh, Las Vegas and every hotel has 80 other restaurants you could just walk two minutes to, you know? I mean, there, there's so many options. It's not like you have to get back in your car and drive somewhere. It's just right there. There's option B right to your left. So, yeah, I don't I don't really understand it because you're not you're talking about when they've actually addressed us and said, sir, it'll be 15 minutes. We sat there for, for 10, 15 minutes and, and add, the best part was. They sat us at the table that we could clearly see was open the whole time and, and cleaned and ready. Right. It was ready. It was set. It wasn't like they had to go do some work on the table to seat us. That would have been fine. And a real man, two things. A real man leaves, okay? And I tried to leave, but you were not real men, so you made me stay. And then two, the other thing I should have said is, listen, we actually want to be seated now, so if you don't have a table right now, we're going to leave. So which is it? You know, that's what I should have said. Yeah. You know, like, look. I see that there's a table out there. Can we sit there now or are you going to make us wait for some bullshit fucking charade to pretend like you're busier than you are? Right? I, I, should, I don't. I should have just said, kind of, yeah. uh, said uh, is, my, is wasting my time really worth you carrying on this bullshit charade? You were the one mo- by far the most fired up. So, yes. Everybody you, was fucking like, oh, no, no, you no, were no, a real no. man. If you were a real man, you would have done that. I should have done that, right? A real man does not fucking do that. It does not get to take disrespect like that. And I will, I will extend this. It just as a larger point, that in America, we, we eat a lot of shit, okay? Like, we tolerate environmental damage. We tolerate a healthcare system that's basically paying for people's yachts. At, you know, cancer drugs, 100000 a pill, you know? It just costs, fuck that. It costs a dollar a pill, right? You're paying for yachts. You're not paying for healthcare. My uh, guy I follow on uh, Twitter, Matt Stoller, said that. And it's true. You're paying for someone's yacht. You're not paying for the fucking cost of the pill. We tolerate so much shit. In this country, Americans are just way too polite. You know what Americans do? Tourists in Vegas, when they're told to wait, they fucking wait. They do what they're told. Why? Why do you do what you're told? What kind of fucking business 
has availability right now and makes you wait for no fucking reason. Imagine you went to a car dealership and you're like, hey, whatever the sticker price is, I'm willing to pay. And they're like, sir, can you just wait till tomorrow? Come back tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, that's, you got to be fucking kidding me. They know you're going to take it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do that. So I'm just I'm going to say just to people, it's fine to be civil. It's fine to be polite. But you need to you need to speak up when your rights are being trampled on. You need to be speak speak up when you're being treated like a piece of shit. And I just don't think enough people in American society do that. I hear you. Solid rant to end it, Liz. All right. All right, Dom. I'll let you go, man. Take it easy.